superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Rich Eisen Show. Let me see you put your hands up now. 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 With guest host, Steve Weissman. Rich, love you. Brock, Dotuko, what's up? TJ, my brother from another mother, love you. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Today's guests, Sports Illustrated senior writer, John Wertheim. Seven-year NFL veteran, Trey Boston. ESPN NFL insider, Field Yates. Chargers tackle, Rashawn Slater. And now, sitting in for Rich, it's Steve Weissman. It is so good to be back in this chair. Welcome to the Rich Eisen Show. I'm Steve Weissman, filling in for Rich today. You just saw the lineup of guests that we have. It is going to be a spectacular three hours. I've been up for like four or five hours already. Just got back (laughs) from Paris and the French Open. Was there for about three weeks. The jet lag has not gone away yet. Chris Brockman, Mike Del Tufo, TJ Jefferson. Great to be back in the house with y'all. What up, Doug? Great to see you, brother. So you were in Paris, huh? Paris. That's what rich people call Paris. Paris. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know. Uh, but yeah, no, Paris. It's my favorite city, my favorite tournament, Roland Garros. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, saw the new GOAT, Novak Djokovic. Okay. Win his 23rd major singles title. History made on the red clay of Roland Garros. Absolutely spectacular to see that. Now, more Grand Slam singles titles than any man in history, and he had the jacket ready to go, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he had 22 ready to go in Australia, and Lacoste set him up so that right when he won, he went up to the stands and saw his family, and they gave him the jacket. Tom Brady. The other goat was, I mean, there, by the way, there was a herd of goats in the house to watch the tennis goat. You had Brady in the box sitting next to his wife. Then you had his wife or Brady's wife. Joker's it's next to Joker. Yeah, no. Yelena. Yelena. Yeah. 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 I mean, they were, they, they were talking the, the whole no, no. the whole match. And by the way, Novak's kids were behind Tom Brady, so Tom got a better seat than Djokovic's kids. own kids. Well, I, mean, well, I mean, he's accomplished more. Yeah, I mean, I don't think his kids have won any Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what have his kids yeah, won? Seven what Super Bowls seven? usurps uh, family blood. Yes, yeah. absolutely, hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. All right, you want to uh, give your kids something to strive for? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Look, look at that, that guy in front. I, I do give a lot of respect to Brady, though, because when, when Djokovic went up to the box, you know, to give hugs to everybody, he just kind of waited. He knew his place. Yep. And and then and we, and we actually talked to Novak after the match, and he said, I had been in communication with Tom for years, and we've really respected each other and supported each other. We had never met before. Wait, so that, what? Yeah. That was the first time that Novak and Tom actually met That's in person. incredible. Yeah, I, I found that fascinating as well. Game recognized game. You know, goat recognized goat. Absolutely. Now about that jacket, right? Yeah. When did you get that produced? Because <laughs> was it like after he made the quarterfinals? Was it before? Was it the night before? Like, all right, I made the final. I might win tomorrow. I, I better get this jacket made for, for Djokovic. I would say right after he won the Australian Open they and had just, 22, they just had it ready. 23 was whenever they figured out what Lacoste kit was going to be right. for Roland Garros. That's when they made it. Okay, they you know they were like, all right, not you, afraid of the reverse jinx. No, I mean this is a, going into the tournament. There were only a couple guys who would even won it. Right, Rafa was not there, so 14 sure. time Roland Garros champion, the guy Clay Court King, yep. he, he was not playing, injured. 
So going into the tournament, in my opinion, Djokovic was the favorite to win this thing. The betting favorite was Carlos Alcaraz. So the 20-year-old Spaniard, youngest ever to be number one in the world, he had never beaten one of the big three in a best three out of five match. And to me, you're, you're not the guy, whether you're ranked number one or anything like that, until you beat one of those big three, three out of five at a major, you're not that guy. And so they played each other in the semifinals. You saw what happened. Alcaraz could not hang. His body broke down. Yeah. I, I mean, he's 20. Djokovic is 36. We asked Djokovic after the match, would you, be, would, would you argue if somebody said you're in, you're in your prime right now? I said, I wouldn't argue. 36 years <laughs> wow, old. Wow, that's crazy. In his prime. Wow. So, so, uh, t- so to me right now, uh, you know, Novak Djokovic is, is the GOAT on the men's side. I break down the GOAT into a couple of parts. So you have statistics and you have legacy. Mm-hmm. The stats are the facts. Those those are the records. The legacy is more emotional and therefore subjective. So some people may get a a, a feeling that that Roger Federer made them feel a certain way or Rafa Nadal, the same thing. And so to them, they're going to be their goats. But statistically right now, if you take a look at it, he's got one more Grand Slam singles title than Rafa. He's got three more than Roger Federer. So the first time in history, Novak Djokovic leads that race, tied with Serena Williams, trailing Margaret Court. So at the end of the day, this is this is a men's thing. I'm not going to say goat for tennis all time. Then you got the head-to-heads. He already led the head-to-head with his two biggest rivals. And this is the greatest generation of tennis that we've ever seen with Roger, Rafa, and Novak. All of them have at least 20 major titles. Nobody's wow. even even close behind that. And he, he has a better head-to-head record against Rafa. He has a better head-to-head record against Roger Federer. This was his third Roland Garros title. So third title there. He is the first man to ever win all four Grand Slam titles three times. It's, it's amazing. It's been done on the women's side. Steffi's done it. Steffi Graf, Serena Williams, Margaret Court did it. But the first man to win all four of the majors at least three times. He is also the only man to have won all nine Masters 1000 events. That's the right below the Grand Slam in terms of the level of tournament. He's done that twice. So nobody's even done that once. He's won them all at least two times. Oh, wow. Not to mention, he is once again now, by winning the Roland Garros title, back to number one in the world. So he is, without a doubt, 36 years old, the number one ranked tennis player in the world, and has spent a record 388 weeks and counting at that top spot. So that's the most man or woman, that any human on the planet has never been ranked number one more than Novak Djokovic. Really? 12 different years he's been ranked number one in the world. So he's got longevity as well as the dominance. And to me, those are two very key GOAT characteristics, right? You do it for a very long time as well as as being dominant. He said before this tournament, I play to break more records and make more history. Like he's very open about wanting all these things. Roger and Rafa, not as much. But he said, I want all the records. I want to claim everything. And so I asked him, I said, what's the next most meaningful piece of history for you to achieve on the court? There are still some things he has not done. He's now two for two in terms of winning Australia and Roland Garros this year. And he said, I want another chance in New York. He said, I want a chance to win the Grand Slam. So that hasn't been done in nearly a half century on the men's side. Steffi Graf, last player to do it, 1988, the Golden Slam, won all four majors plus the Olympic gold. But the fact that he's already thinking about that, and listen, he's still got to win Wimbledon, which he is the defending champion. Right, that, right. that little that little event in London. That old thing in London, <laughs> whatever it's called. That he's won the last four times that he's played, but he, he needs to win that to then go to New York. And he said, but I'm th- he said, I want another chance. Because remember, two years ago, he was one match away, lost in the final to Daniil Medvedev. And that's the closest anyone's been in decades to actually winning the Grand Slam. But he wants that because that, that's, you know, a whole a whole nother level. And to me, you know, you, you talk about the legacy and the emotion. When I talk to Novak Djokovic, the man is so inspiring on, on the court after he won the match. He said, I want to give good values to my children. I want to be able to inspire the next generation. Uh, he said, believe it, create it, achieve it. And then when I asked him what he learned about himself over the past two weeks, because I said, listen, what, what you said on court was magical. 
But what did you learn about yourself? He said, it's a great question. He said, energy flows where attention goes. Oh. Let's say that one more time. Energy flows where attention goes. Oh. And I'm like, mind blown, right? Because I, I, that makes complete sense. I totally believe in that. And where you put your energy and where you put your attention, that, that, that stuff combines. When I moved here to L.A., Eight years ago now, I, I didn't have, you know, contracts or, or jobs signed up, but I believed. I was like, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. Totally get that. Now I'm hanging out with the three of you all on the Rich Eisen show. <laughs> well, I mean, so rather be. <laughs> <laughs> dreams do come true. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that kind of encapsulates all of us. The, you From know, Paris to El Segundo. <laughs> you know? You what? From Paris to El Segundo. <laughs> They're very similar in not a lot of ways. <laughs> I think that's really interesting what you said about what the statistics say and how someone makes you feel. That's really interesting when you talk about greatest of all time debates or we're, we're debating top five or top tens. You know, you look at the NBA, the whole like Jordan and LeBron thing. Statistically, LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. But for people of our era, we're all kind of the same age here. Michael Jordan made us feel a certain way because our eyes do not lie what we see on TV, right, TJ? And yeah. so, you know, you're debating all this stuff like Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. Statistically, he does make me feel a certain way because I'm a New England fan. But your eyes might tell you that Aaron Rodgers was a better quarterback, played the position better. Or Patrick Mahomes is on his way to playing the position better and maybe he might be the greatest of all time. It's a very interesting way of looking at it that I never thought before. So thank you for bringing that up. And I think tennis-wise, yes, Roger Federer made us all feel a certain way. I think for maybe our generation, Pete Sampras made us feel a certain way, and we thought he was the greatest we'd ever seen, yet he never won the French Open. And statistically, Djokovic is the greatest of all time, but he makes people feel a certain way sometimes in the negative because of how he acts, his demeanor, uh, his whole anti-vaccine stance. Where, whatever side you feel about that uh, can make you feel a certain way. And it's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, because, you know, at the end of the day, not everybody has the same opinion. And there's a reason for that, because statistically, there is no more argument. He has now surpassed both Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, statistically, in virtually every category. You can't deny it. The stats don't lie. So he is the GOAT statistically. But that legacy, that 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 emotional subjective quality is not always going to be that case. And there are millions of people, believe me, when I tweet out that Novak Djokovic, and I, I believe he's the greatest athlete on the planet right now. The greatest athlete, athlete. on the planet Bar right none. now. Bar none, in my opinion. The individual aspect of the sport, what he's doing mm -hmm. at his age, the physicality, and then you factor in the mental strength that he has as well. There's, there's nobody that touches him, in my opinion right now greatest athlete on the planet yeah you were looking at that final uh the championship match the first set i think took what an hour and 20 minutes and you're like wow if this thing goes five they're gonna be playing for six and a half hours i, I couldn't imagine doing anything that long <laughs> let, let alone uh, something as grueling as one-on-one -on -one individual tennis at the highest of highest levels and uh yeah i think you're right i mean uh, that's, that's a good that's a good debate well, if, if we're if we're just going to talk about how they made you feel, then I'm sorry, he's never given me the feeling that Andre Agassi did. Because for, for my go. era, like that guy, when I was much younger, it was Boris Becker. Because I can yeah. remember going, wait a minute, this dude's like 17 and he's winning Wimbledon. Like I, and then Agassi came along with all the flash and the headbands and the colorful, you know, tennis attire and the sneakers. And you couldn't tell me Agassi wasn't the greatest. And it kind of made me dislike Pete Sampras a little bit because that was a hurdle that Andre didn't seem like he could get over. And even though Pete, I think most people would agree, was the better player. I always held it against Pete because it was like <laughs> he was impeding Andre's progress for him to be the greatest. So, yeah, the, the how they make you feel argument does get brought in a lot. You know, people get caught up in their feelings, right? When it yeah. comes to discussing <laughs> all the feels, all the feels. How, how, who's the best and who you like the most. And so. I'm with you. I'm an Agassi guy. So I grew up, you know, it was Pete and Andre. And to me, I resonated with Andre, you know, everything, everything that he did on and off the court, I thought was so cool. 
You know, so Agassi to me is my favorite mm-hmm. tennis player of all time. That doesn't make him the greatest tennis player of all time. Because when I mean, when you have eight majors and then you have, I mean, even with Pete, 14, right? But now 23, there's it's tough to argue with those numbers. That said, he's still my favorite. Yeah. The, when, the, the minute that he followed me on Twitter and Instagram, those were moments in my life. <laughs> and, and I still check to this day. Like, I'll be like, Let, let's see if Andre, because he doesn't follow a lot of people, right? <laughs> That's so funny. I'm like, eh, does he still follow me? Oh, he does. He does. All right. Um, so uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the idea of like your heroes now knowing who you are is just the craziest thing Trisha. ever. So cool. For us in this world now, like, oh, so-and-so, like, they will recognize me. That's incredible. I had your poster on my wall when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, that, that is something, man, because yeah. even though I'm not 100% sure that they would remember my name, I know for a fact that if I went somewhere and I saw Deion Sanders or Michael Irvin or right. Troy right. Aikman hey. or Stone Cold Steve Austin, they might not be like, hey, TJ, but they'd be like, yeah. That guy. That kind of makes you go, oh, man, like yeah. I can't believe it's this. Wild. You know? It's wild. It's awesome. I do want to tell one story because, like you mentioned, there, there, there are certain people out there that may not be emotionally drawn to Novak Djokovic. And over the years, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with him. And, and those moments I cherish so much because whether it's Novak, whether it's Roger Federer, whether it's Nadal or, or some of these one-of-one humans, every time I get to spend that time with them is a real privilege because I'm learning something. The energy flows where attention goes, right? Like, I'll remember that for the rest yeah, of my like life now. <laughs> I'm going to make a song with that. <laughs> there you go. Put, put the remix in it, right? <laughs> right. This um, is the remix. So after, after he wins, you know, his, his 23rd major title, he's on the court for probably another hour doing interviews on the court, doing all the, the photos, all that stuff. He has to go to press. He's got a million obligations. Our set, the Tennis Channel set at Roland Garros is not, it's outside of the stadium. It's a beautiful set, amazing background. It was. But it's not super close. I mean, you got you to gotta walk there. It, take, it takes effort to get to our set. And for 15 days in Paris, and this never happens, it was beautiful weather. It was perfect. The sun was shining every single day. They have a roof now on Chatrier. They did not need to use it. I mean, it was literally could not have been a more perfect fortnight in Paris. About an hour after the tournament ends, the skies erupt. It is a monsoon. It really? is a thunderstorm. I mean, we, John Wertheim, who, by the way, is coming up in about four minutes on the show. We'll, we'll uh, talk a little bit more, Paris. But we're on the set. Kind of nervous, scared for our lives because <laughs> <laughs> the rain's coming down. Yeah, right? We're seeing literal lightning bolts, and, and this hasn't happened for two weeks. And our boss, Ken Solomon's like, Novak's coming. He's, he's, he's doing one set interview, and it's going to be Tennis Channel. I'm like, okay, great. You know? So, but in the back of my head, I'm I like, like the way how you downplayed it. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, if I was Novak and I just won, you know, I just won my 23rd major title, I've, I'm, probably tired, right? I've been spending two weeks playing tennis. I was doing all these obligations to then have to travel all the way in the rain to the tennis channel set to do another interview before I just can go home. I might be like, yo, I I got you at Wimbledon. Like, it's good. Like, you know, thanks, but I'm going to pass on this one. But he came, he came in the rain all the way to the set and spent 15 minutes with us you know, talking about life, talking about tennis and was like, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'll do anything for tennis channel. Uh, I, I love you all. And that to me, I have so much respect for that, that at nine 30 at night yep. after winning the biggest title, he decided to come in the rain with no, like no handlers or anything. He's like, look, he's wet Wow! <laughs> and sits on set for 15 minutes. So, you know, if you have some hate, uh, get rid of it. Uh, Djokovic is the man. Big congratulations to him. And as I mentioned, we got John Wertheim, who uh, has spent the last two weeks with me on set uh, in Paris. He is coming up next. You are watching The Rich Eisen Show. Steve Weissman filling in for Rich today. We'll be right back.
Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase. So all the guests is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for twenty dollars off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Let's talk sleep number, people, because quality sleep is so essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is dissolved for your ever-evolving sleep needs. And the same thing for your partner. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Quiets your snores or your partner's? Sleep Number does that. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's is 70. Ten numbers apart, but it truly is the world of difference. The Sleep Number sleep that you get is unbelievable. You will love it. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now you could save 50%. That's 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Back on the Rich Eisen Show, Steve Weissman filling in for Rich today. Give us a call, 844-204-RICH. We are on the Roku channel as well as Sirius XM. And we have our first guest coming up. It is my friend. He is a 60 Minutes correspondent, the executive editor of Sports Illustrated, New York Times bestselling author, and one of my analysts at Tennis Channel, the great John Wertheim, joins us now on the phone. John, uh, thanks so much for calling in. You spent 16 straight days in Paris with me, 12 hours a day. Have you recovered from the trip? Hmm. I was going to say, are, are you not sick of me? But, uh, <laughs> you, you didn't want another guest. You've probably uh, heard a lot of this voice. Good to be with you. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I just named all of your jobs. So, obviously, you just got back. From, what are you working on now? Oh, man. Um, putting, the, uh, putting the finishing touches on a documentary. So, I'm out, uh, I'm out in freezing. you got to explain this to me. I'm out, I'm out in freezing cold L.A. Right. Like, <laughs> Sixty-five degrees. Yeah, I mean Paris. Paris was much nicer. Um, I don't know. I was driving into the studio today. It was it was misty. It was rainy. I don't like it at all. I was hoping, you know, for for the the Paris weather to come back to L.A. But it's interesting because whenever we have you on Tennis Channel, we a lot of times we have you on Skype when you're not on location. We're like, where in the world is Wertheim? And you're always, you know, doing some story in in some other destination of, of the planet. What what do you enjoy most about each of your your different roles that that you have? Oh man, um, I, it's just it's variety, and you know it's no it's no secret. Media is in a very strange, fast moving, uncertain place. But um, the flip side is you get to do a lot, and sort of all the old guardrails are off, and the idea of just being whatever. I mean, you, you know this too. You're doing you know seventy two hours ago you were doing TV and. Uh, an ocean away, and now in that nine time zones from there, you're doing radio. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. The fact that one day you're doing tennis and the next day you're doing, you know, you're talking to Bruce Springsteen in Rome and just kind of the location is different, the rhythms of the day are different, the medium is different. I can't imagine in retrospect what it was like, you know, 25 years ago or whatever when all you did was radio, TV, newspaper, whatever, and it was a huge taboo. You know, if, if somebody crossed over and Bob Ryan did an ESPN show, it was like big news. Now it's like you do a little of everything, and that, to me, offsets a little bit of the uh, instability and uncertainty we're all dealing with in media right now. John Wertheim joining us now on the Rich Eisen Show. Steve Weissman filling in for Rich today. Uh, John, you brought it up, Bruce Springsteen in Rome Tell me about it. What were you talking about? What was what was that like? Oh man, um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've kind of, at sixty minutes, I've kind of um, 
I don't know how I ended up and do a lot of music pieces. And, uh, it was, um, you know, this is a, a forthcoming piece. So I should probably be a little kiss for the fall, but, um, yeah, I, um, caught, caught Bruce Springsteen when they were going through Europe and, um, he's, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, tell, tell me if you just disagree. I, I heard you're just talking about Novak. And one of the things I thought that he does really well is he gets interviewed so often and he still finds a way to sort of be interesting and not go into robot mode. It's very hard. I mean, you, you talk to someone like Bruce Springsteen, he's been interviewed so many times and has honestly has so little to gain just transactionally by, by talking. Um, it's really a challenge. And talking to some of the other members of the, of the band, I, I thought was a lot easier just because uh, they don't get interviewed as much and they don't, uh, they don't quite have, Bruce Springsteen's, uh, you know, the, the risk reward ratio is a little different. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, um, that was, that was the week before the French. Show. Yeah. I don't know. It was three <laughs> weeks ago. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's at some level, don't you feel like at some level what we do, you know, it's, it, it changes a lot, but it, at essence, what do you try to do? You try to like have conversations and tell people things they haven't heard before and hopefully make a few points with some, some insight and expertise and I'm, I'm sure you're the same way. Like our jobs have been a lot different than what they started out being, but in some other ways, they're basically the, the essence of what we do is pretty much the same. Even if we're doing it in places and on platforms that we never imagined when we, uh, when we got into this game. Yeah. Just, just making connections, human connections, yeah, telling exactly. stories. Uh, I, I totally agree. 100%. I mean, he also recently did a profile on, on Charles Barkley. What, what did you learn about him that maybe you didn't go know going into that story? Um, you know, I, I think the, the beauty of that piece is that we went to, uh, we went to Leeds, Alabama. We went to his hometown. And so if we'd done it, at, you know, if we'd done it in Atlanta at the studio, it would have been fun. You would have gotten Kenny and Charles and told stories. But this was just a totally different look at, at Barkley. And what you realize is, you know, it's funny because Leeds, Alabama is actually maybe 90 minutes from Atlanta. So people say, oh, you came such a long way. And you're like, actually, geographically, it's not that far at all. But, um, you know, we, we, spent, uh, we spent two days where, where Charles grew up. And we just you, you get a real sense of, his upbringing, you get a sense of his values. In, in a weird way, he was sort of raised in a two-parent home, but the parents were his grandma and his mom. And it sort of, um, he, he was very, very sort of generous with his time and his candor. And there was no, I heard what you're saying about Novak. It was the same with Charles. There was no entourage. There was no publicist. It was just Charles taking me around his old stomping grounds. And I think the, uh, the producer, Dragan Mihailovic, who's sort of a sports-producing legend, I think his his genius of like, look, we don't want to do the obvious story and just camp out in Atlanta and have this be the 60 minutes version of inside the NBA. The fact that we did it outside of a usual context, I think really helped the piece. Who, who's been your favorite person that you've been able to profile on 60 minutes? Oh man. Um, I think, I think this weekend they're rerunning the, the red hot chili peppers piece. Uh, so I would, I'd put Flea up at the top of the list. He was great. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, sometimes it's a celebrity. But I honestly, more often than not, it's just just like a cool person you run. You know, someone that the throat singer or some pool player or the piano player in Berlin. Um, you know, the, the celebrity thing, it's, it's a whole different beast when you're dealing with, you know, you're, you're dealing with, who, who was, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, who was great. And he was, he was like really fun to talk to. And it was during COVID, but you know, it's, it, that's a much different interview than when you go to the world war two veterans home mm. and the 88 year old guy is telling you war stories, literally. Um, I mean, a lot of times you talk about building connection and a lot of times the more, the most rewarding interviews aren't with the person who's got the biggest, you know, Instagram following. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I walked into the studio today and I noticed right in front of Del Tufo was, was your book, Al, Al Michaels memoir. And, um, oh, what, <laughs> and it, it's been here forever. And I was telling Brockman, I was like, that, that's our guy that's coming up. That's worth time. He's, he's going to be our first guest. What, what's your best Al Michaels story? Oh man. Uh, um, 
You mean from the book or from uh, from life? No, it was. It was <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing: is that I had, you know, we would the way we did this book is we would have meals or we would go out to, you know, we'd get breakfast or we'd go to a bar. Sometimes it was in in Brentwood where he lives. Sometimes it was in Palm Springs. Sometimes in New York. We went to a. I think I met him for, at a Patriots Broncos game. You know, we stayed at the hotel in Boston. But anyway, I, we'd, we'd have these conversations, and it was, it was honestly such an easy book to read, I mean, to write, just because he's such a good storyteller. It was kind of like, you know, story time with Al, and it was really entertaining, and then I just kind of tried to structure it and fill in some gaps. But I would get it all transcribed. And, you know, it's, it's like a court stenographer. They're not really listening to the content. They're just kind of whatever gets said gets on the page. And, and Al's a really finicky eater and he doesn't like vegetables and there's a whole, I mean, no, but, um, you know, I, would be reading the transcripts and it would say, you know, Howard Cosell came out of the Metrodome and he was already drunk by then. And the car was waiting and capers, those are capers. I didn't want any capers. And what, what I realized after a while was that everything that came out of his mouth, including his like instructions to the wait staff to get the vegetables off his plate, uh, made it onto the transcript. So uh, every now and then I would, I would come across something and I would say, wait a second, where does that fit? And then I realized it was just the stenographer, just the transcriber taking everything out of Al's mouth. So I have a lot of uh, great stories about sports from the, you know, the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s and OJ and World Series, but I also have a lot of uh, Al telling the wait staff that uh, he, he couldn't have capers on his on his. <laughs> no capers for Al. What? What? Uh, is he kind of like I, our friend Ian Eagle in terms of the foods? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, just, just strange eaters. They... Yeah, he likes that. maybe that's something. Maybe you're onto something. Maybe there's a trend in uh, the best play-by-play play players in, in the, on the planet just eat like children. Yeah, there's no no intersection. <laughs> he's never had salad in his life. I mean, that's wild. You know, not not a like, he's he's at the top of his game still, but not not a young guy. You gotta you gotta try to go seventy plus years and never eat salad once. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you're onto something. Uh, John, uh, you, obviously you do a ton of sports stuff with Sports Illustrated. You've done all these profiles with sixty Minutes as well. But outside of sports, what, what's been the most rewarding assignment or story you've done? Um, oh man. I mean, you know, a lot of the things like, like the sports washing piece is, is kind of sports, but kind of not. Um, and that's obviously, you know, a, a top of mind story right now, but, um, yeah, I don't, I, I did a story on, um, these, these world war two sort of these, these soldiers, this unit, this intelligence unit that nobody knew about that just, you know, the, the documents came declassified. And so all of these, basically is what started as the CIA, but these were sort of German, a lot of them were Jewish, but a lot of German immigrants to the, to the U.S., and they sort of enlisted in this camp and were used for intelligence because they could speak the language. They knew not just the German language, but they knew the culture and the slang and the food and the, you know, the, even the sports stars, and so they were really good spies. And the story came out a few years ago, and... Basically, you know, I, I had access to it in these names because a lot of this became declassified. But before these guys died, um, you know, the story came out and there was a lot of attention and people wanted to option it for film. But also um, the, you know, the, the, the government basically began bestowing awards on these guys. They couldn't do it previously because a lot of this was, de- was classified information. But the story came out and a lot of these guys before they were, you know, these guys are in their 90s now. And some of them have passed away in the last two years, but they've gotten any, any number of awards. And some of them were, were, you know, they brought to Washington, D.C., and they met President Biden. And, right, you know, these, these guys are in the very, very tail end of their life. These were, you know, they, they played a huge role in uh, World War II success in, in 1944 and 45. And here, here they are almost 75 years later getting recognized. That was um, just sort of from a... From no. a gratification standpoint i'd put that one up there that, that that's fascinating we're here with john wertheim from sports illustrated 60 minutes tennis channel new york times best-selling author steve weissman in for rich on the rich eisen show today and uh you brought up the the sports washing and and i know you sat down with some folks in saudi arabia what what was your reaction we're, we're watching the u.s open right now go on at, at lacc uh to, to that latest news of the pga tour merger with live golf 
I, w- I would love to say I saw it coming. I'm absolutely gobsmacked. Um, I, I think it sort of falls into that sh- shocking but not surprising category where especially the way all of this was cloaked in, in morals by the PGA and sort of, you know, these guys have a bottomless pit of money, but do you really want to be aligning with this regime? I mean, that was kind of their big selling point to keep these golfers loyal to the PGA to then – a year later, basically completely 180. That it was astonishing. You know, we whatever we. I, I said to someone else, like we're accustomed to having business leaders sometimes gloss over the truth or not, you know, spin things in a particular. I mean, it, we're, we're not naive here, but I'm not sure I've ever seen a business leader in sports or outside just complete hypocrisy. I mean, just an absolute 180 with an active legal case and with nothing sort of materially changing the facts on the ground apart from money. Um, It's really interesting to see how this is going to play out. It's interesting to see if this gets, you know, I'm I'm not 100% convinced this will sort of get all the approval. It's one thing to have a a press conference and a press release. It's another thing to actually have all the antitrust and all the regulators sign off on it. But I think both in golf and then more broadly now, is this sort of been normalized? And next time the Oakland A's or the whatever, Ottawa Senators come up for sale, I imagine there will be a a Saudi bid. I mean, I think this is really potentially pretty transformational in in sports business. Absolutely. Um, Here with John Wertheim from 60 Minutes, does a great job there. Obviously, Sports Illustrated and and Tennis Channel as well. So you work for these these just institutions, John. I mean, 60 Minutes has been around forever. Sports Illustrated, you know, that that was the magazine for, for me growing up. Tennis Channel. Best tennis team in the game. Uh, what 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 is there still something that, that you would like to do? What what's something you'd still like to pursue out there? Oh man, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think there there are always sort of more more books to write or more you know more document. I'm sort of playing in this documentary space, but some of it is just kind of seeing where all this is going. I mean, you've sort of alluded to it. I mean. Sports Illustrated still exists, but you know, I'm, I'm no no illusion that it's not the the force it was when you and I were growing up. And who knows what the future of linear TV is? And who knows? I mean, you know, I don't. Who knows where podcasting is? I mean, it's just it's such a weird time in media. But I think there's also it's, people are always going to want news. They're always going to want sort of informed opinion. And some of it is just kind of figuring out where the the platforms are going to be because they're they're moving very quickly and uh nobody nobody knows anything is what i've kind of uh (laughs) you know you you go to one meeting and it's i mean two two years ago everyone and their brother was on the podcast train and now that seems to have lost the momentum i mean just no one knows where it's going but in a weird way it's actually I, i think it's kind of Exciting and invigorating. I, I, I totally agree. And the more things you do, the the more opportunities you know present themselves. And if you're not just you know focused on one thing, you make yourself more marketable to do a variety of things. Uh, you said you were listening earlier to our Novak Djokovic conversation. You know, after spending some time with him with Tennis Channel and what you saw over the past you know two or three weeks, who, who's your goat? Yeah, I, th- I think we need to uh, take take out the, the there's dirt on the shovel. You know, there's there's embalming <laughs> fluid is out. I think the, the tennis goat debate was um, you know so, so a lot of fun for ten plus years, and there were a lot of passion and a lot of opinions. But boy, um, I, I don't know where you are on this, but just as a as a math exercise, it's really really hard to uh, arrive at a conclusion other than. Djokovic and people are still out there trying, but you've you've won the most majors. You've got the superior head-to-head. You've won all the majors at least three times, which none of you know the other two guys haven't. Uh, most weeks at number one. I mean, it's just it's really hard. I think to uh, especially after what happened Sunday. That to me was kind of the, the final the final squirt of embalming fluid on this debate. I think we've kind of retired this, but. Feel, feel free to. I don't know. How do you feel? No, I'm, I, 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 my whole bit was basically statistically he is the greatest of all time. There's there's no 
debating that, in my opinion. Stats don't lie, and he's got all the stats on the men's side. I don't know if I would say it overall in tennis. I could still make arguments for Serena Williams and, and, and you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Martina yeah. Navratilova as well. I mean, we work with right. Martina very closely, and I've always said she's my tennis goat. Um, you know, the 59 majors, all that she's done over basically four decades, you know, from the 70s to 2006, and and, and what she's done outside the sport as well uh, factors into that for me. But on the men's side, it's Djokovic. And you know, I did bring up the point that it's it's stats and legacy. And so legacy is more emotional and therefore subjective. And I understand that, you know, if Roger Federer made you feel a certain way because it was so effortless and so beautiful the way he played, he's your, he's your goat because of that. And that overrides the statistics. And there are Rafa fans that will say the same thing. But at the end of the day, statistically, on the men's side, there is there's no denying Novak Djokovic, right? Yeah, but then we're like, uh, someone was giving me a similar argument the other night. I'm thinking like my my favorite basketball player of all time was was Sean Kemp. Okay, and he was cool. The Rain Man. He was athletic. The Rain Man. It was in Seattle. Like grunge was there, and I'm like, (laughs) he moved me more than Michael Jordan. But you would like really you you'd like a lot now, but I'm just gonna it was past you know it's personal, but it's like if you know so so, but I would never argue that Sean Kemp because I had this connection with him and because he made basketball look easy and just he was you know from Indiana like I am I would never make that's that what it is so now nah, I got to the bottom of it now it's the Indiana yeah. thing <laughs> well yeah exactly he's from Northern India uh, but no but I would never like I'd never stand out there and make the case that like Sean Kemp was these people are like you know my, I don't care what anyone says Roger Federer moved me like no other athlete I'm like I, I get that but like that's, that's not what the GOAT you know when we talk about Tom Brady it's, I don't think anyone's saying like oh I have an emotional connection to him it's, here, here's what he achieved here's his longevity here are Super Bowl rings like go find me someone else like I don't think anyone's saying like you know Brockman, he's, feel free to chime in if you'd like. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, Chris Brockman has an emotional connection to Tom Brady. Right. John, so he's, he's, John, us in New England are very connected to Tom Brady. We even rooted right. for him with the Bucks. But that's not, that's not why we're calling him the good. I mean, I, know. I feel like once, once, once we, then we're just fans, right? When people are like, you know, Roger Federer, like, I don't care what anyone says. Like, he touched my soul. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> but that doesn't make him the, that doesn't make him the coach. <laughs> well, you know, you know what Andy Roddick says about Djokovic. First, he takes your legs. Then he takes yeah. your soul. Yeah, I don't, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't touch your soul. That's L.A. traffic for He doesn't touch your soul. He takes it. L.A. traffic. It sounds like New York. And I, I, so, you know, before the pandemic, I've heard of these, you know, events, parties, soirees at the Wertheim, you know, residence that would bring together, you know, uh, famous folks from all walks of life can can you can you tell us a little bit about those those events and and what what amazing people you you've bring, brought together oh man um yeah i don't we we gotta uh that was that, that may have been a pandemic casualty that needs to get uh reinstated no but the the idea was basically like you know you you any anyone that kind of you know i'm sure you're the same way you live in a city and you come across cool people and instead of just having a meal like why not get everyone together so your your friends who are artists can meet your friends who are journalists and uh the the idea was somebody would you know somebody would prepare something so a comedian would speak or you'd sort of learn about the other people from other walks of life it was all very casual but off the record and uh they'd bring random you know things like i think who like Fab Five Freddy would come to hear <laughs> Grant Wall's wife talk about infectious disease, and it would just be like this kind of random mix of people. And uh, yeah, that was, you know, so maybe once every three or four months we do one of those, and uh, that probably needs to get reinstated now that COVID is not not COVID friendly. So you got to bring that back. COVID you... casualty. Yeah, we got to bring that. Back. Would would you invite uh, Cara Delevingne to uh, to one of these? Oh, <laughs> so a little little backstory to this. You you could tell it, John. Oh man, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, um, not sure we should go here. All right, but, uh, well, we'll stay with. <laughs> <laughs> Delevingne briefly resided in my 
place of residence. Rent, uh, rented John's apartment in New York. All right, all right. May not uh, have, yeah. you know, <laughs> taken care of it yeah. the best way. Oh. <laughs> um, John. <laughs> Isn't that what Prince did to Carlos Boozer's house? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. You ever hear the, you ever hear the uh, wait, you ever hear the, the, the second part of that story? The Carlos Boozer Prince story? Go for it. That's one of the all-time great sports stories. All right. When, uh, when Car- Carlos Boozer came and he's like, you know, his dining room was a barber shop and there was like a Prince. Did you ever hear this? It's, it's a great story. This is when, when uh, Prince rented Carlos Boozer's place in, uh, at, where was it? Beverly Hills, I think. Yeah. And there was like, you know, he like put a bowling, it was like a dance floor in his, and he basically said, Here, here's a check. Carlos Boozer came home by mistake, and he thought he'd gone to the wrong home. And uh, Prince basically said, here's a check, put it in escrow, and if everything doesn't look exactly like it does when you come back, you keep this check. And so Carlos Boozer went one night, he came to his place, and you know, there was like a barber shop where his bedroom used to be, and Prince had Prince it out. And whenever he came back a month later, he... Every single like wine glass was in the exact same place. Wow! I don't know how they depurpled it, and I don't know how they got you know the, <laughs> the Prince logo out of the cave in the swimming pool. But uh, <laughs> the guy went from not recognizing his own house to like not not a not a wine glass out of place. One of the all time great sports stories. But, amazing, yeah. amazing, uh, John. Really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Good luck with uh, the documentary here in LA. I look forward to seeing you. At Wimbledon in like three weeks. And once again, we'll spend, you know, 12 hours together every day for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, see, this was just, uh, <clears throat> this was like a little amuse-bouche. Um, you guys, exactly. thanks, for, uh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, thanks, John. John Wertheim does a fantastic job with us at Tennis Channel, 60 Minutes, Sports Illustrated. Obviously, you saw the book that he wrote uh, with Al Michaels. Rents his house out to uh, to models when he when he travels to Paris and incredible. Uh, <laughs> he, he's he's honestly he's like one of the most interesting wow. people on the planet, and you may not know that without knowing him. But the the more I get to know John, the more I love John and just realize he you know he's into so many different things. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. He went to Yale. He went to law school at Penn, and now you know runs runs the media world. But much more still to come here on the Rich Eisen Show. Give us a call, 844-204-RICH. We'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back to the Rich Eisen Show Radio Network. Steve Weissman in today, filling in for Rich while he is on a glorious trip in Israel. I am sitting at the Rich Eisen Show desk, furnished by Granger, with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call, click, Granger.com, or just stop by. Call us as well, 844-204-RICH. Watch us on the Roku channel, channel 210. Listen on Sirius XM. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Rich Eisen Show. The Nuggets just won the NBA title. They have a parade today. And then basically right the, now. this it's going on. And this is uh, the delay of Nikola Jokic going home. Basically, he, he, he would prefer <laughs> he would prefer to be in Serbia right now. Uh, but he's he's, you know, got to be at this parade. 
that man, the, the MVP. And the fact that we talked about Novak Djokovic earlier in the show, but the fact that we have the number one basketball player on the planet comes from Serbia and the number one tennis player to ever play the sport is from Serbia, a country of less than eight million people. Less than the total population of New York City. And they have produced two of the greatest a- current athletes on the planet. Mm-hmm. is mind-blowing. It's, uh, it- it's fascinating. Vegas also winning uh, the Stanley Cup. First yep. time. So Nuggets, first time NBA champs. Vegas okay. Golden Knights, first time NHL Stanley Cup champions. Got us to thinking, who do you think would be the next team to win a first championship? So there's plenty of options across the four major sports. In fact, there are 12 NFL franchises still looking for their first title. That's nearly 40% of the league. Brockman, uh, any of those pique your interest? Uh, let's see. I think uh, first and foremost, you got to look at the quarterbacks of these teams. So you're looking at Cincinnati. You're looking at uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, you're looking at mm, anybody else really with a great shot to win a Super Bowl Buffalo? this year? Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo. Yeah, yeah Buffalo. Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they just. Yeah. I mean, they haven't really. <laughs> Now that now the Diggs and Allen are cool again. Oh, they're oh they're buddies now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. twenty four hours and something will change. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think you're looking at probably those three as the best shot to uh, get over the hump this year and you know in the near future. Okay, we got eight NBA franchises yet to win a title. Mm-hmm. TJ, uh, I, I would say the the Clippers. <laughs> Yeah. With, with a healthy Ka- Kawhi Leonard and you, Paul George. You know where my heart is in this, in, in this combo, man. <laughs> and, and, and the Suns, I mean, right? With, with KD and, uh, oh, and Devin Suns, Booker. That's yeah. a good one. Uh, the question is, who do I think will be the next first team to win? Yeah. I've been beat down too much by the Clippers, so uh, <laughs> maybe the Suns? You know, they get a full year of Durant and Booker together, see what they can do about their point guard situation. Maybe I'm, I'm hesitant to say the Clippers just because I don't want to jinx them any further than they've already been jinxed. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Rich Eisen Show. I'm Steve Weissman filling in for Rich today. I think if we're talking about next first to win, I think it's the Tampa Bay Rays. Yes, yes. Best, I, I'm best so team in Major League Baseball so far this year through the first uh, what are we at sixty something games, sixty five, nearly games. seventy no, like games. A, yeah. a month and a half ago, I told you and Rich, Tampa Bay's winning. Like that's the bottom line, and you both gave me massive push pushback on that. But well, now that was seemed- a month ago. I mean, you can't judge <laughs> April baseball. <laughs> they were thirteen and zero to start this year. Early, it was that obvious to me. Like sometimes to me, Steve, I say a story is already written. Okay, it just kind of seemed with the way that team started that like they're just playing the script as it's already been written and I, I don't know I, I agree with Chris though that that would be that was my pick that, that that seems oh the Rangers are the second best team in baseball and they've never won a World Series either True. both in the AL so potentially would have to play each other but Rays right now most most homers in the AL most steals in baseball on pace to win 114 games Jeez. pitch well I don't know. Once it comes to the postseason, you never know, right? That's um, true. You never know. We've seen them kind of blow it before. So, most recently, what was the pandemic? Blake Snell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, eleven teams still haven't won a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of opportunity in the NHL. And one of those teams, the Florida Panthers, were just in the Stanley Cup Finals. In fact, we had, we were guaranteed a new Stanley Cup champion. So congratulations. Been awesome recently too, because they had the Presidents Cup uh, a couple years ago. So. President's Trophy. Yes. Apology to the hockey heads, Mike Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening and watching to the Rich Eisen Show. Steve Weissman filling in today. Trey Boston coming up.